Mute myself. Sorry. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Fabulous. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I'm afraid to ask. Unbelievable. To the untrained ear, that sounds really, really good. Unbelievable. <laughs> to the trained ear, we don't always know what that means. You got that right. right. Yes. April has come to a close, and we are now in the midst of May. It's, it's pay May Day, I think. It's, it's about getting paid in May. That's what it's about. I don't know how you say it, but it's about getting paid in May. It's about having record cash flow in May. I know I'm shooting for my record cash flow in May. We're coming off of, uh, as many of you know, I've been working hard at rebuilding our base shop out here in the Chino area, and uh, we're having some success. We fell just short of our goal last month. Our goal was 10 base shop recruits and 30,000 points. We finished with nine base shop recruits and a little over 27,000 uh, base shop points. So we're closing in there. We had 19 agents at our meeting Wednesday night. So we're closing in on that magical 30 number. We've got a super BPM tomorrow with myself and Dan hosting it. And uh, literally in the history of the Chino office, this Chino office, uh, our team is doing the best job I've ever seen. The office is doing the best job I've ever seen of us mobilizing uh, for a super BPM. Like, guys are really, really on it. Guys are leading their teams. There's great leadership in place. There's great personal accountability in place. Um, and just guys are really, really working hard at building things. So I'm really excited about the direction of things and where we're going. We're a little bit behind schedule. I expected to be there by, uh, you know, by, by February this year, not April. But um, we're a little bit behind schedule, but we are still moving forward, getting and getting closer to the goal, which is the most important thing. Uh, I've got, I want to talk a little bit today about retention. And I want to talk about retention from two perspectives. You know, I had an uh, SMD fly out and uh, come and spend a few hours with me yesterday. They just wanted some co- – they're from outside of the hierarchy, and they wanted some coaching and some feedback. And I've even had some SMDs recently come to me for coaching in the past few months that are in the hierarchy but maybe not plugged into our Friday morning conference calls, have, maybe haven't been plugged into our Wealth Bowls or some of our big events, so forth and so on. And, and so what keeps showing up is retention as it relates to both agents and clients. And so I wanted to talk about that this morning. And part of the reason I wanted to talk about that this morning is as much as others are coming in and wanting to learn from me, what are some ideas about building a team? What are some ideas about retaining agents? What are some ideas about retaining clients? What I realized in going through that is uh, sometimes we're not doing the best job of practicing what we preach. In other words, some of my own people probably are skipping steps or sort of cutting corners or forgetting about important steps in retaining agents and in retaining clients. And so I wanted to review some of those things this morning because I just – at the end of the day, it's not how many you get, it's how many you keep it that counts. If I recruit 20 directs and Sabrina recruits 40 directs, 
and three months later, 15 of my 20 directs are still around, and three months later, 10 of Sabrina's 40 directs are still around, I'm winning. Now, in the leader's bulletin, she's going to get the, the recognition for out-direct recruiting me by double. But in the long run, I'm going to beat her because I've got more people that are staying, and the ones that stay are the ones that do things. Okay? Same with clients. It used to be back in the old days, all we measured was gross points. All we measured was the amount of apps that were submitted and points that, that hit initially. And it, it wasn't until really Transamerica took over years ago that we began looking at net points and net point ratios. And so once again, it's not about how good are you at closing and writing apps. So that's a part of it. What's a really big part of it is I just deleted all my notes that we're talking about today. <laughs> I can pull them back up though. Pretty sure. Yeah, here there. Um, <coughs> um, recover, yes. Um, sorry, that was a little bit of a distraction. So um, it, it's now become more and more important. Like, not just, it, of course, you've got to learn how to close, but beyond closing, we've got to learn how to close the right way and how do we close things in a way that the business stays with us, stays with us long term. You know, I'm, I'm, working, I'm working with a client right now, a personal client right now, that um, she was one of my very first clients. And I put her in the, uh, the best variable annuity that we had at the time, but this was over 15 years ago. And she reached out to me. She direct messaged me through Facebook, and we got in touch with her. And now she, and she basically, she's, she's a self-proclaimed pessimist and unbelievably pessimistic. But um, she basically said, hey, if you had not convinced me to start saving back then, and I really, didn't think, I really didn't think I needed to, I didn't want to because of my outlook on life, she goes, but if you didn't convince me to start saving back then, I would literally have absolutely nothing. And so it's neat to do that. It's also neat 15 years later to be able to take what money that she had put away then and, and how we invested and how it's grown over the years and be able to move it into a new product, a better product for her today that's better suited for the direction that she's going. So I want to really start off by talking about retention of agents, retention of agents. Where does that begin and how does that begin? You'll have to forgive me. I just got my first cup of coffee for the day, and I'm going to enjoy it. Mm. Oh, thank you. Um, actually, I'm on a uh, heavily restricted diet by my doctor, and I'm not supposed to drink coffee, so I've cut down to one cup a day, and I'll be doggone if I'm not going to enjoy that one cup. Uh, in any event, so when we're retaining agents, I believe that retention starts on the front end. What do I mean by on the front end? Retention starts with how we prospect people, how we invite people, how maybe we do a one-on-one -on -one with somebody before they come to the meeting. So what do I mean by that? I think um, all too often what too many people in WFG get caught up in is they get so excited about the opportunity or they get so excited about, you know, what they think the opportunity is going to do for them or what they think the opportunity can do for others is that we get into this mode, what I would call a pitch mode, a, a sales pitch mode, where we're pitching people on all of the benefits of coming down to the meeting, all of the benefits of becoming a client, all of the benefits of joining the company. 
And there's in human nature, I think the more times that we just tell people, benefit, 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 benefit. It's going to do for this for you. You could make millions. We're going to be rich. It's unbelievable. You don't have to work when you don't want to. We just go benefit, 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 benefit. That the more that we do that, the more that it raises people's skepticism. The more skeptical they get, the the, the more that they think that oh, this sounds too fishy. It sounds too good to be true. And so somewhere in our invitation and somewhere in our one-on-ones, there needs to be an element of balance. There needs to be an element of neutrality. There needs to be an element of um, giving them benefit and then taking things away from them. A little bit of a cat and mouse, a little bit of, um, you know, uh, we, we've used the analogy before of a fisherman, and a fisherman, you know, throws the lure out and then tugs it away from the fish and then lets it sort of hit the stay idle and the lure sort of sinks a little bit in the in the water and then they tug on it again and it jerks forward and then they let it settle again and they tug on it and it jerks forward. And it's that same sort of back and forth that I think works the best with prospects. And I think sometimes we get so excited because we think we've got a good prospect or they would be great for this or we could really help them or they're close to making a decision. What we try and do is pile on with more benefits to try and convince them. So, for example, like um, in the one-on-one, for example, in the one-on-one, um, one of the things that I've taught and professed for years and years and years is that there, that we have a one-on-one that we do in our hierarchy, and the one-on-one is good. It's a combination of the ASAP and, <clears throat> and then some key questions that we're asking them. To me, the most important part of that is not what we're – showing them in the ASAP presentation, not the benefits that we're showing them in the ASAP presentation, but it's our ability to take things away. And so I'll give an example. Um, yes, Deanne Charles, who just got her associate promotion and has had a guest every meeting since she got her associate promotion. So she did 3330, and then since then she's had a guest every meeting. I think she's had one more direct recruit since then, and, and she's got more in the pipeline. She had a, a nice young couple that she knew from church come down, and uh, she wanted me to meet with them and do a one-on-one. So as I'm meeting with them, the wife is an RN, and the husband works at Home Depot. And as I'm talking to them, um, they want to learn more about the company, more about what a part-time or a full-time position looks like here. And after going through some of the upside, because they were a little bit skeptical and pessimistic to begin with, so I, went, I asked them some questions about them, their careers, their backgrounds, their family, and I got a, a better understanding of where they're at. They've got a young child and one on the way. The husband works at Home Depot. He works, uh, starts late in the afternoon, oftentimes gets off at 2.30 in the morning. Uh, is not earning a very good uh, – it's really like the hardest job in Home Depot um, from a physical labor standpoint and probably the lowest pain. So just at one point, as we're having a brief discussion, I just said, you know, uh, as they were sort of like pulling away a little bit and they were sort of half interested, half not, I said, can I be honest with you? They said, sure. I said, can I give you some feedback? And they, they said, sure. I said, I don't mean any disrespect by this at all. I, I really don't. I don't mean to be disrespectful. But the fact of the matter is, and I was addressing the husband at this point, the fact of the matter is you have a wife, you have a young child, and you have a child on the way. You're working at Home Depot in the hardest labor position that they have at probably the lowest 
hourly rate that they have available. You do not have a college degree or any college whatsoever. You do have a high school degree. Like, wh like what, what are your options? What do you see your career path going from here? Like, do you go from Home Depot to Lowe's? Like, where is it really going to go that, to where you can begin to really significantly provide for your family? Because at this point, the wife is providing most of the income. I said, I'm, I'm not trying to be rude or disrespectful. It's just, like, I, I feel for you. I said, when I was your age, when I moved out here from St. Louis, I said, I, I did have a college degree, but I only got a 2.1. And, and I said, so... But the fact of the matter was, in my first six weeks out in L.A., I had five solid job offers, all with a salary, all with significant benefits, and all with good upside compensation plans. I said, today I meet people from really prestigious schools like a Cal Berkeley that have a 3.8. They can't get five interviews in six weeks. So I said, it's not that I'm better than them. Quite frankly, they're, they're significantly better than me on paper. They're much better candidates. But... The fact of the matter is, is that the economy just isn't what it was back then. It's not as easy for young people to get jobs. And so I said the chance, I, I said the, 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 the reality of it is, is I said you can't even walk in and hand your resume or hand an application to any bosses anymore and shake their hand and even try and make a good impression. It's all done electronically, and the software programs that receive these applications and resumes are all set up with keyword searches, and they're all designed to filter people out. And quite frankly, with your background to date, you're more likely to be filtered out of any search than you are to be filtered in. So I don't know, I don't know if this would be a fit for you. I don't know if you can make any money with us. I don't know if you enjoy it. I don't know if we'd even want to move forward working with you. But um, if I was you, I would explore it to the greatest possibility that I'm given an opportunity to. And the reason is, is what, what you've got here is not a better job. This is not a very good job. What it is is a great career. And careers often take time. And sometimes you've got to invest a lot of time on the front end. But the, the fact of the matter is it just doesn't seem like you've got an opportunity to step on any other career path at this point. And so I don't know if we'd be willing to, to take you on and get started with you. I think if we did, I think – yeah, I would expect it, I would expect things to get started slowly. I wouldn't expect you to make um, uh, any significant amount of money in the first few months at all. It's going to take some time, but we will work with you. We will train you. We will develop your skills. We'll do all those sorts of things. So, in my conversation with him, you can see I spent five or ten minutes. I spent five or ten minutes, sort of talking him out of it, sort of talking down the benefits, not promising he's going to be a millionaire, not talking about how easy or how fun it's going to be, but really painting a picture of, hey, it's going to be a long and hard road, but the fact of the matter is you really don't have any other options. And I think too often times we're meeting with young people out of the market or even older people that just haven't done well in life, and we're overselling what this is, and you don't need to. The fact of the matter is if you can speak respectfully to who they are, and what, they, what lies in front of them, I, I think that's much more attractive and much more realistic at setting expectations for people. So I think whether it's in when we're prospecting people, I think too oftentimes we get excited and oversell it when we're prospecting people. Uh, we make it too much about them, right? Too much about like them and all these great qualities they have and they'd be awesome I and mean, you'd be great. And I, I just want to encourage you as a reminder to stay away from that. 
it's more like I don't know if you'd be a fit or not. Um, I know that my boss, I know or the hiring manager is looking for somebody right now. I wouldn't even say that they're looking for good people because that just sounds too much like a cattle call. I know they're looking to fill a position now. And um, I don't know if you'd be interested or not. I don't know if you'd be a fit or not, but I think I could probably get you an interview. You seem like you'd be a good candidate, and here's why. So it's it's much more – I'm much more trying to get the camel through the eye of the needle. This is a difficult task to get an interview. We're staffing for a position, then it's a cattle call, and we've got all of these positions that we're – opening up because we're expanding so much and we're looking for lots and lots of people that, that almost like people want, people like exclusivity. People want what they can't have. I had another young man come down as a guest uh, to BPM a week ago or last Wednesday, came back uh, for an interview and as I'm talking to him, he's, he's just young. He's just young. And so I just simply said to him, I said, you know what, here's the fact of the matter. I said, you're old enough because he's older than 18, you're old enough to make decisions on your own. You can decide if you want to start an investment on your own because he's really interested in starting investments, starting mutual funds. I said, you're also old enough to decide if you want to start a business with us on your own. I said, but the fact of the matter is if, if you've got a good family and it sounds like you do and they've made good and they seem to have done fairly well for themselves, I said, uh, if I was you, I would want you to get your parents' feedback. And so I'd want you to whether we sit down at, at your home and I sit down with you and your parents and we discuss these ideas together or whether they come down here and get a chance to meet me and maybe go through a corporate overview. I just think before we move forward, even though you're of legal age and you can make these decisions on your own, I just think it makes sense because we're going to need their support and we, if you're going to be successful here. And I'm going to want their support before you make any kind of investments on, on their own. So he's coming down with his parents tomorrow to our super BPM, and his parents are studs and studettes. So any time that I'm in a hiring interview or any time that I'm in a one-on-one, there's, there's a couple of things that I always want to accomplish that I think helps tremendously with retention. And one of them is, is I always want to find two or three characteristics, and we've talked about this, but I want to make sure that you're putting this in your notes and you're actually doing this, not just remembering that this is what I do. I always want to bring up two or three characteristics why I think they would be successful. Come on back. Real characteristics. So I think, you know what, what we've talked about so far, I think your work ethic, it just seems like you're always willing to put in the extra effort, always willing to put in the extra shift, always willing to work late, always willing to go in early. It seems like you were that way as a student. It seems like that you were that way in your work life. And I just got to tell you, that's one of the reasons um, that all of the successful people that we have at our firm have a really strong, innate work ethic, and you really seem to have that. Second thing is, is you seem to have a really positive outlook. It just seems like describing some of the adversities that you had to overcome along the way, some of the challenges in getting your degree, some of the challenges in sort of, um, in sort of, a, in sort of succeeding on that project that we were talking about, um, you, you, sort of your positive outlook and just sort of looking at things from a positive perspective, even when it seems like things are difficult or dire, that, that's a characteristic that all the successful people here. The other thing I really like is your people skills and your energy, what just – sitting down with you, getting to know you. You've got sort of a, what I would call a quiet confidence about you. and You don't come across as brash or arrogant or condescending, you, you, though you do come across as very self-confident. It's just not something that you're 
wearing on your chest like a shield. It's more like there's a quiet confidence. You believe in yourself, you, but you're not, you don't need to sort of brag about it. And I said that, that quiet confidence is, is very appealing. It's very charismatic. And, and it's a characteristic. All of our successful leaders are very, very confident people. So I'm going to find three characteristics that I believe to be true about them that they know to be true about them. And as I'm describing those three characteristics, I'm going to connect them how those characteristics have helped other people to be successful here so that they can see themselves being successful here. Not because I'm convincing them, but because I'm helping them to connect the dots. Once I'm done doing that, I'm going to punch them in the nose. I'm going to take it away. I'm going to find, I'm going to discuss now any weakness that I discovered in the one-on-one or interview and use it against them. Maybe it's the fact that they don't have a college degree. Maybe it's the fact that they don't have any experience in our industry. Maybe it's the fact that they don't have any supervisory or management experience. Maybe it's the fact that they've never made more than $50,000 in a year. Um, Like I'm going to find something and I'm going to punch them in the nose right now. You know what? But despite those three things, I, I still have concerns. I mean, you, you not only didn't get a college degree, but you never even went to college, and that's just sort of a red flag. I'm just not sure if, if you're career-minded enough or sort of have the big-picture perspective to really be successful here. Or, you know what? I mean, I, as much as I really like those characteristics about you, and, and certainly all of our successful people have those, the fact that you really don't have any supervisory or management cons- uh, experiences is sort of a concern of mine. Or... Uh, you know what, like those characteristics are characteristics that we find in most of our successful people here, but I'm a little bit concerned that at your age that, you know, where you are sort of in in your industry, sort of the title that you have and where your income is, is that despite you having these obvious gifts and these obvious skills that you haven't succeeded at a higher level, that you haven't earned more money, it's quite frankly, it's a little bit concerning, a little bit shocking to me that you've never made at least a hundred thousand dollars a year in your life. So um, I'm just wondering, you know, what that's about. That's a little bit concerning to me. Um, you know, maybe you've got these gifts and skills. Maybe you're a little bit of an underachiever. I'm not sure. Uh, and then I'm going to shut up. So it's going to be something like that. It's going to be their acad- their academic background, their experience, their lack of financial services experience, their um, lack of success something that I'm just going to take a slight casual dig at as a concern. And then I'm going to shut up. And then I'm going to let them convince me why I'm wrong about that and how that's not a big deal and I'm looking at it from the wrong, uh, from the wrong perspective. And actually what I thought was a weakness is a strength. So now they're convincing me. And when they're convincing me, now I'm going to transition that from a one-on-one into, um, into a, a guest at the BPM or I'm going to transition that in the hiring interview into a commitment to complete the AMA. Okay, you know what, I believe in you. I'm going to take a chance on you. Let's go ahead and get started. Go through the AMA and get them started in the fast start process. But I always want to have that sort of dynamic balance between helping them to see how and why they could be successful here and then taking it away a little bit, challenging them a little bit. By the way, every job you've ever interviewed for and every job you've ever gotten there was things they pointed out in your resume or your background that weren't sufficient enough that you had to explain to them, that you had to overcome. And so if you don't do that in our interviewing process or in a one-on-one, it almost shows up as odd. 
if everything we're doing is talking about how they'll be successful and all the reasons they'll be successful and all the benefits of being successful, it just shows up very odd to them. It's not like any other interview they've ever had. And we're different enough as an organization in the way we do things that we don't need to make ourselves look even more different, especially on the front end. And I think the fact when you're able to create that, when you're able to sort of do a one-on-one or interview somebody and create that sort of leverage, when you're able to sort of push back, and here's the challenge. Let's just be frank about this. Most of you are very, very, very good human beings. You were brought up the right way by your parents. By, by your parents. You've got a strong moral compass a strong sense of values, a strong sense of right, they're wrong, a strong sense of how you're supposed to treat people and what's polite and what's being considerate of others and what's being empathetic towards others. And so for you to, on purpose, point out someone's weaknesses or flaws, it almost goes against the grain of every fiber in your body. It's just not the way you were brought up. It doesn't feel right. It, it doesn't feel comfortable. It feels awkward. I, I, I don't like putting people down that way. I don't like criticizing people that way. And you have to understand that you're not criticizing them. You're not putting them down. You're challenging them. You're pushing back a little bit because you want them to convince you why they're good enough and why you should take a chance on them. And when you're able to start a relationship that way, you're able to continue maintaining the relationship that way. So it's super, super important. It's uncomfortable to do, but you've got to – here's what I would encourage you to do. Just like I went through three different examples of how do I give pushback, how do I take it away, you've got to role play taking it away. And really, like like I said, I mean, there's there's a couple of really, really easy targets. Like here's the questions I would write in my notes. What would keep them from winning here? Write that in your notes. What would keep them from winning here? Why are they not good enough? Why are they not good enough? What are they missing? What are they missing? And then here's some, here's some easy options. Chances are one of these will be an issue. Their experience will be an issue. Their age will be an issue. They're too young or too old. Their background will be an issue. Their education will be an issue. Um, Where they live will be an issue. They live far from the office rather than trying to convince them to drive a long way. You know, I'm going to say, you know what, you probably live too far away from the office. You know, it's it's unusual for somebody to be hungry enough and committed enough that they really want to be successful, that they're willing to drive that far to plug into an environment and get the training that they need to be successful. Take that away rather than, trying to convince them to make the drive, you make them convince you as to why they're going to make the drive. Maybe it's their market. Maybe it's their network. But there's all kinds of things. And what I would encourage you to do, just like I role-played and went through three different examples with you guys right now on this call, I'd encourage you to role-play them a little bit yourself out loud with a partner today so that you get more comfortable challenging people and taking people away. Because I promise you, with the overwhelming majority of you, with 95-plus percent of you, it just doesn't feel comfortable. It's, it goes against the grain of the way you were brought up and the way you were raised, and yet it's an important part of winning. So as we move through, the other things in the interview that I think are super, super important is you've got to set expectations in the interview. Hmm. 
That coffee is so good. You've got to set the expectations in the interview. We've got the 90-day plan to help set expectations in the interview. It's important that you set expectations and you use that once again as an opportunity to take it away from them. We want them convincing us how they'll make it through the 90-day plan, why they're good enough, how they're going to overcome obstacles along the way, rather than us trying to convince them of what they have to do. The fact of the matter is they're going to have to get licensed. They're going to have to go on training. They're, they're going to have to learn how to make calls. They're going to have to get out in the field. All of those things are realistic expectations. I think as I meet with others, it's like we always talk about the $100 fee and the licensing fee when we're closing the BPM. We always talk about that stuff. Because for me, it's like it, it begins this slippery slope of I don't talk about that then, so then they come back for the interview, and then I'm like, oh, by the way, here's the fees. And people are like, oh, why didn't I know that? And then it's, here's, the, here's the AMA fee. And then as soon as they get started, the next thing I do is, oh, by the way, here's the licensing fee. And they're like, what? And I'm like, after the license, oh, by the way, here's the anti-money laundering and the courses that you need to take. And by the way, they cost more. And oh, by the way, there's a plug-in fee. And oh, by the way, there's E&O. And oh, by the way, there's this big event coming up. And it, it just becomes like all of a sudden what we do is we erode our credibility and trust because we knew these things the whole time, but we selectively waited to the last minute to tell people. And it feels disingenuous, and it erodes our credibility. I want to do things that create more credibility by being more upfront. It's much the same way that I'll sell an IUL. I'll be, I'll be totally upfront. The first thing I'm going to discuss in an illustration is all the fees and expenses and costs. I want to get the difficult part over with early and overcome that early in the conversation, and then I want to sort of run downhill from that point far forward. Once we get through the interview to the fast start, I want to be clear about some expectations on the fast start. Um, number one, in my Bay Shop, and it's been this way for years and years and years, I always do the fast start. I always want to do the fast start appointment. That is what I see historically in Bay Shop after Bay Shop after Bay Shop. Just about everybody is doing their own fast starts with their own recruits. We have people that aren't even licensed doing fast starts. We have people that are licensed but they're not validated on the ASAP or the data collect, and they're doing fast start appointments. And in my opinion, the fast start appointment is the most difficult appointment in all of WFG. It's the most difficult skill step for us to do. Why? Because at this point, we've made it this far, they're waiting for the other shoe to drop. And when a fast start isn't done right, here's what happens. What they're told is, it, here's what they're hearing. This isn't what you're saying. This isn't what your intention is. But here's what the prospect is hearing. Oh, I get it now. He wants me to build a list of everybody I know so they can go out and recruit them and sell them a bunch of insurance. Now I got what this is about. That's what they're hearing. And to put that appointment, the most difficult appointment from a skill set standpoint, in the hands of untrained people is like base shop suicide. It's just horrible. Like I've, I've been to base shops where their base shop recruiting numbers are big month after month after month after month after month after month, and yet, they pretty much have the same size team month after month. Not only do they have the same size team, it's usually the same people showing up month after month. So despite all the recruiting, it's like a, it's like a revolving door. People are coming in, they're getting coded, and they're going out. And I think a big chunk of it has to do with what we've already covered, like how people are recruited on the front end. 
but I think the biggest place we lose them is in the fast start. You'll lose some people uh, emotionally. So, like, they quit emotionally, but they still come back to some meetings. But they just seem unmotivated, uncoachable, and you can't get them to do anything. It's because you lost their trust at that point. And they're still sort of hanging around because they paid the 100 bucks. Um, but they're not really willing to do anything. They're not coachable at all. They're not being cooperative at all. And that's because we blew the fast start. So I want you to think about this because some people think they're too busy to do the fast start. I know how many of you are doing double-digit recruiting right now. And if you were doing double-digit recruiting, which most of you are not, if you were doing double-digit recruiting, that would mean you would need to do 10 fast starts a month or about two and a half a week. Um, I'm looking at the, your numbers right now. None of you are so busy. Many of you SMDs or MDs are so busy that you couldn't be doing two and a half fast starts a week. Like, and here's the irony. Some of you are so busy trying to prospect in the cold market or making cold calls that you don't have time to do a fast start the proper way, which is your opportunity to get 100 or more warm market referral leads. You're so busy and committed and accountable to chasing cold leads that when you get uh, potentially super hot and warm ones, you avoid it in the pursuit of more cold leads. The whole idea of going cold is to go warm. Let me repeat that. The whole idea of going cold is to go warm, not to stay cold. It's to go warm. So how do we do that? In the Fast Start appointment, I've got on YouTube – it's one of the few skill steps that I do all by myself. I have a fast start appointment there, and it's not even the whole fast start. What, what it is is it's taking somebody through. It's a real new agent that was in my base shop. His name's Mike. I forget his last name, Mike something or other. He lives in Chino. Okay. So I take Mike through a fast start. I take him through his goals and dreams so that I'm able to create leverage. I, we go all over the place with his goals and dreams. At a couple of times, I like encourage it. Like, have you guys thought about uh, kids' college? Have you thought about family vacations? And I just let him talk as much as he wants about his goals and his dreams and what's important to him. Once he's done, then I start getting more details on each one. I've committed them to memory because I'm 100% present in the moment, and I'm paying attention to what he's saying because what's important to him is important to me. So I'm listening. I'm paying attention. I'm not interrupting him. I'm just letting him go on and on and on. I'm encouraging him with some open-ended questions. And then when I think he's finally done covering all his dreams and goals, then I'm going to dig in and get details. By the way, I start that session by trying to visually put him in a specific place and time. I do it the same way every time. I'd say, hey, Mike, when you and your wife have a little bit of quiet time sometime at the end of the week, when the kids have sort of gone to bed or they've quieted down, it's just the two of you and you're sitting back and you're reflecting on the week and the two of you are talking. So I'm creating a word picture in his mind where he sees, yeah, there's, there's a time about every week or every other week or maybe twice a week where my wife and I sit down and sort of have quiet time together and we sort of talk through things. So I'm putting him in that place. I'm like, Mike, when you guys are spending time like that together and you're talking about sort of things, what are some of the things that you guys talk about? In other words, what are some of the things that you guys talk about that are important to you as a couple and as a family over the course of the next year or three years or five years or ten years? 
And then I just shut up and I let him talk. And I let him talk and talk and talk and talk. And I don't rush him. I don't cut him off. I'm not on a time constraint. I don't have some sort of agenda in place. And then I will ask him some opening questions if he's missed sort of any key categories that I know most people have dreams and goals about. And then once we're done with that, I'm going to ask him some of the details about that stuff. And so I'm getting him connected to his dreams and goals. And one of the things that I'm going to do is give him a tremendous amount of certainty. So I'll tell him, Mike, here's what I know. Based on what you've shared with me, based on the the goals that you've shared with me and your dreams and so forth, um, here's what I know. There's no doubt in my mind whatsoever that you can achieve those things here. Like zero doubt whatsoever. There's been so many guys, Mike, just like you, that have not only achieved what you've talked about so far, but have achieved those things and then gone on to, to set bigger goals and, and dream bigger dreams, and they've, and they've done those too. Sure, I, I look back at my own life and what I've been able to achieve since I've gotten started here and what we're focused on achieving right now. And so I know those things are 100% possible. Matter of fact, um, there's not going to come a day where you're going to walk through my office and sit down with me and go, hey, the reason I'm not achieving my dreams and goals is because uh, Schleyman didn't do his part. You haven't given me the direction, the leadership, the support I need. If you don't achieve those goals here, Mike, it's going to be for one reason one reason only. It's that you just you weren't willing to do the work. But if you're willing to do the work, and here's what I can tell you, it's no more demanding or difficult than any work you've ever done before. If you're willing to do the work here with us, you for sure can achieve all these things. I know that for certain. So I'm giving them tremendous certainty. And then from there, I'm going to go through all the pre-frames necessary before I help him build the list. We still have people. You still have people in your base shop doing fast starts that you think are doing them the right way, and they're giving people a list and telling them to go home and fill out the list and bring it back. Or you still have people that are in such a hurry to get through the fast start so fast that when they're telling somebody to, do the, to build the list and they get any kind of pushback or questions or objections, people are telling them, well, hey, it's just our system. This is what you need to do. Or you need to be coachable. Like somebody that's brand new to us and that you've just met, that you have no real relationship with, they don't want to hear it's our system or you need to be coachable. They don't care about any of that crap. Like that's not overcoming. You're trying to bully them into building a list. And even if they do, they're going to give you the names and numbers of all the people that you don't want to talk to. They're not going to give you the ones that you want to talk to. So if you, if you watch my YouTube on the Fast Start, you'll see how I still go through the entire restaurant example. I still go through the entire baseball example, just the way Ed taught me. Now, I've heard some people do the restaurant and baseball example. It's like, yeah, they're doing it, but they're not doing it right because there's this propensity with many of us. They hear like a story or an example like that, and we want to change the words. We want to make it our own. We we don't want to have to copy it directly because somehow that takes away from our sense of pride so we sort of tell the story, but we do it our way. And here's what happens is there's a reason that the story's told a certain way. There's a reason certain words and certain ideas are done in a certain way that you probably aren't aware of. There's also something called duplication. And the more that you are inclined to change things and do it my way, the more your people are going to be inclined to change things and do it their way. And before long, you have no system. So you've got to take the time and go through all of the different pre-frames, and I believe they're all in that YouTube video, all the different pre-frames. It's not just going through the restaurant example. 
it's not just going through the baseball example. Matter of fact, like for example, one of the things that's not in the restaurant example or baseball example, but that I've taught you guys before that's in the video is one of the things that I'll always say to people is as we're going through the baseball example, um, um, I will always, as we go through the baseball example, and I'm explaining first base and getting to first base, I will always say this. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you a question. If you're not doing this, I'd encourage you to write this down verbatim and do this. Can I ask you a question? If we went to see one person that you know, we went to see one person that you know, and in some small way I exaggerated, in some small way I... uh, was overly assertive or aggressive, in some small way I injured the relationship that you have with that individual, how many, people, how many more people would you take me to go see? What do you think the answer is that I get to that question? Like literally people are almost jumping out of their skin to go, nobody, I wouldn't take you to see anybody else. There's no way, right? Because people that have credibility in their market the reason they have credibility is they protect their market from people who would do those things. And the reason I say that is because that's what they're most afraid of and that's what they're holding on to. And if I don't give them an opportunity to let that out, to voice that, to communicate that, they're going to continue to hang on to it. They're going to continue to hang on to that fear and it's going to jeopardize their opportunity to build a big list that's going to jeopardize my opportunity to field train and build them a team. Um, So it's critical that you take the time and go through all of those pre-frames that are in there. That's a critical one. And if you're not doing that, you're losing people and you don't even realize it. They're building lists, but they're not putting the good people on the list. They're not putting the chicken list on there. Um, never give them a list to take home. Never take them, give them a list to, to – here's the other thing is <clears throat> I'm going to explain to them explicitly, like th- I'm going to let them know I'm going to set expectations. We're, go- we're going to together build a list of over 100 people. They say that when the average person passes away at their funeral – the average person has 290 people sign that little book at the funeral. Here's what I believe. If you know 300 people when you're dead, you probably know 100 when you're living. Don't you think? So, I, so here's the deal. I want to make sure that we get everybody that we can on there. This is a brainstorming exercise. There's no right or wrong people. I don't care how well you know somebody or how little you know somebody. I don't care if your grandmother is 93, lives in North Carolina, and doesn't speak English. I want her name on the list. Why? Because it's about when you start in your head deciding, no, grandma doesn't belong on the list for this reason, what begins happening is we start filtering all kinds of people out in your head. And anybody who's ever done any kind of brainstorming exercise knows the idea of a brainstorm is to get all the ideas out of our head and on paper because what happens is we sort of create like almost an internal clog when we start think, overthinking and filtering in our head. The, the place to sort through, the place to filter is once we get them out of our head on paper. What most brainstorming exercises will teach us is we think our best idea is oftentimes one of our first two, three, four, five ideas, but until we get those ideas out of our head and onto paper, 
the next five ideas won't come out and the next 10 ideas and the 10 ideas after that. And sometimes our best ideas are 20 or 25 or 30 deep and we'll never get to them if we don't get everything out on paper. So I want you to just get all of those names and numbers out on paper. You can cheat. You can use your cell phone. You can use your email distribution list. You can use your contact list. But I want you to get them all out there. If for some reason you start slowing down, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to create word pictures for you to help stimulate ideas of people that you know. Here's the rules, and I call them rules. I want you to keep your – if you slow down and I need to step in and help you, I want you to keep your head down and your pen on the paper. Head down, pen on the paper. <clears throat> and as I'm helping you, I may say, think of the four guys that you like to golf with most often. Now you'll either go, okay, I know exactly who that is, and that will help you think of some names, and you'll jot them down, or you'll go, that's stupid. I've never golfed before in my life. Well, if it's stupid and you've never golfed before, head down, pen on paper, wait for the next prompt. Next prompt is, do you know anybody who's in the Army or, has, or in the Army Reserves or was in the Army? Or, and, I'll, and I'll just keep going. And so I'm going to be patient, yet firm, yet flexible, and I'm going to continue working with them until when? Until I get them over 100 names on the list. And quite frankly... Sometimes it's a lot of work going through the memory jogger and helping them to push through, push through. But what I'm letting them know firmly yet patiently is I'm not going to stop doing this until we get to 100. One way or another, we're getting to 100. And when they get to 100 and they set down the pen or they get to 110 or 120 and they set down the pen, I'm high-fiving them and celebrating like crazy. I'm so pumped. I'm so fired up. I know that was hard work. I love the way you gutted it out. I love the way you grinded it out. You kept pushing and pushing. That's awesome. It's some of the hardest work that you'll ever do here is taking the time to think through and do all of that. Like, I make it a big deal because for a lot of people, it is a struggle. I want to celebrate that with them. I want us to have our first victory that we're celebrating together. I want to teach them to celebrate all small wins. I want to take this from from an exercise where they had anxiety before they started to pressure while they're doing it to then the end is release and celebration and excitement. And that's where I want to finish that exercise. And it's super important. The next thing that I'm going to do is I think there's something biblical about breaking bread with people. When I have a new direct, I always want to schedule a lunch appointment with them outside of the office, one-on-one -on -one with them, and I'm buying the lunch. Why am I buying the lunch? Because they don't even know about the exchange principles at this point, and they don't need to. Why am I doing it outside of the office? Because I think it's important to begin to build a relationship outside of the office with them. If the only time they know you or see you is in the office, it's a, it's a superficial work relationship. I want to begin to build a friendship with them, and that happens by the lunch. Here's the other thing that I want to do with them. Uh, one of the things I let them know typically in the interview is this, that as ex I'm really excited about moving forward with them and helping them to build a business and an income and helping them to grow their business and all that sort of great stuff. Here's the fact of the matter. I know that most times when I sit down with somebody like you, <clears throat> that you have, you're excited, but you have some reservations. You don't know me that well. And so there's a little bit of a trust factor, and here's what I know, um, that for us to build a successful business together, we're going to really need to learn to trust each other because we're going to have to be able to depend on each other. 
here's the fact of the matter, Mr. New Recruit or Mr. Prospect. I know you just as well as you know me. Now, I know a lot of times I've said that to new, to new agents, and they think, well, he's got no reason not to trust me, right? Because you always, everybody I talk to thinks that they're trustworthy. Well, guess what? <laughs> I think the same thing. Like, I know I'm trustworthy, and you've got no reason not to trust me, yet I understand that it takes time. So here's what I want to suggest. The more time that we can spend together, whether it's on the phone or in person, the, the faster that we can begin to build a relationship built on trust, which is going to be important for both of us. At this point, I'm risking more than you're risking. At this point, I'm risking more than you're risking. Why? Because I'm going to invest a ton of time and energy into helping you get licensed, into helping you develop basic skills, and helping you learn the knowledge you'll need, into helping you perform the basic activities in the beginning that you'll need help performing. I'm going to invest a ton of time in doing that, and guess what? Nobody's paying me anything to help you. I'm not getting an hourly wage. I'm not getting a salary. I'm not getting any kind of compensation for all of the time that I'm going to invest into you. The only time I'm going to begin to benefit is after you are begin to be successful. What I mean by successful is not when you begin writing a couple of apps. What I mean by successful, what I mean, somebody's talking in the background. If you could please stop talking in the background. I know exactly who it is. Uh, What I mean by successful is when you are beginning, uh, okay, I just figured it out. Let me see here, star five. Awesome. I just muted all of you. Um, what, what I mean by that is once you're successful, I'm not talking about writing a couple of apps a month, but when you're independent, you're, set, you're setting your own appointments, running your own appointments, you're turning in apps on your own, building your team on your own, and starting to make consistent cash flow, then I'll, start in, uh, then I'll start to get paid back a little bit for my time and effort, but it'll still be a complete imbalance. So I get like where you are in this relationship because I'm in the same spot on the other side of the desk. What I want both of us to do is be conscious of that, and I want both of us to work towards trying to build a strong relationship built on trust. I I want us to become, quote-unquote, new best friends. And I think one of the best ways that we can do that is I want to make sure that we're having a conversation on a daily basis. You and I are talking on a daily basis. Even no matter how busy you are or I am, even if it's just for two, three, four, five, six minutes, we need to be talking every single day. And what that's going to do for us, it's going to, I think for both of us, it's going to give us a lot more little experiences of where I followed through on something I told you I was going to do. You followed through on a commitment you made to me, even little commitments. And the more that we do that for each other, I think the more it's going to build strength in this relationship. And I know how important that's going to be long-term for us working together. So I'm going to set that expectation, and then I'm going to begin to have that three, four, five, six, eight, ten-minute call with them on a daily basis. Part of it's to build a relationship. Part of it's to retain them. Stuff's going to come up. They're going to have self, they're going to have doubts, or somebody's going to say something to them, or they're going to read something crazy. And if you're waiting till they see you again at the next meeting, they may not show up to the next meeting, or they may never bring it up there. If you're, they're going to have questions. They're not going to understand how to do things. And if you're waiting to see them at the next meeting for them to ask all the questions, they're going to forget by the time of the next meeting. If I'm talking to them daily, whatever's on their mind related to the business, I'm going to know about it as soon as they know about it. And I get a chance to handle it and address it when it's small 
not when they've thought about it and thought about it and thought about it for days and days and days. So I want to build that relationship with them on a daily basis. <clears throat> I want to be talking to them. I want to be answering their questions. I want to be encouraging them. I want to be challenging them, and I want to be keeping them on track. That's a daily responsibility that you have in building a team. So um, we've – oh, my God. We never got to retaining clients. I can't believe it's 957. So sort of a little bit of a smorgasbord, a little bit of just some reminders on the fast start appointment. I'm going to repost the, fast, the YouTube on how to fast start people in the various um, group me's. And I want you to be conscious of these things. And if some of the things I said you're not sure about or you think you're not doing, but I didn't give you enough clarity or good enough examples, I want you to meet with your SMD or your local EMD and get clarification on these things. Because it's not just a matter of prospects and phone calls. It's a matter of one-on-ones and hiring interviews and recruiting people and retaining people. And from cradle to grave, there's little nuances that we do each step of the way that help us to either do a better job of that or a worse job of that. So I hope that helps you. If you're in Chino, let's max it out tomorrow. we got a little less than 24 hours to be inviting and confirming guests. Let's make sure that all of our guests are confirmed. If you're in Colorado or Torrance or Little Rock or New York or West LA, like make sure that your guests are getting confirmed for your individual BPMs tomorrow. If you're part of the Colorado team that won the contest, have fun today and this weekend in Florida. I know I spoke with Mark this morning. Sounds like you guys are having a great time out there. <clears throat> and uh, for those of you in Southern California, we've got an area-wide at, I believe, Eagle Glen Country Club Monday with all of the local leaders. Then we've got the Spring Sizzler coming up June 8th. We've got the leadership meeting for SMDs coming up June 7th. <clears throat> for those of you in offices out of the state, we will see you at the convention breakout meeting the night prior to the convention. Make sure you get registered. I need somebody to repost the Eventbrite for both the Spring Sizzler and the Eventbrite for our breakout meeting for the convention for the whole hierarchy. Appreciate you guys. Let's make May your best paycheck month ever. Have a great month, everybody.